Monday, October 1st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Helen. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Fool.com, Austin Smith. Happy October 1st, guys. It is a new Thank week you. and a it's, new month. It's an exciting month because if you have children, as I do, it's Halloween month. Mm-hmm. So, like, I mean, uh, there's got to be excitement in your house. There is, but it's not just for Halloween. Just in three short weeks, less than three short weeks, we trek to Disney World for a few oh, days. The, oh po- the so pilgrimage. Wow. It's, it's a double play here in October for the Moser family. Then let's bang out this podcast so we can get the month <laughs> moving along. Uh, we're going to talk technology. We're going to talk alternative energy. But we're going to start with the business of burgers. Shares of Wendy's down more than 5% today. After one Wall Street analyst downgraded the stock uh, at Austin, apparently there were concerns that Wendy's is about to put up some disappointing same-store sales numbers for the month of September. Um, you know, got to give them credit for sort of getting out ahead of this. But what mm-hmm. I mean, I was looking at a chart of of Wendy's stock over the last one, two, five years. It is not pretty. What what's going on over at Wendy's? A lot of bad things. I would, I would first of all say this analyst isn't exactly Sherlock Holmes, since McDonald's <laughs> has had some, a string of same store sales misses recently. Yep. It, it's a it's a commonality in this space right now. So he's not exactly making a risky bet. I'm not saying it'll pan out that way. Just that it, it is likely. Um, the reality is that this is a very tough space to operate in, and has become increasingly difficult over the last few years. Uh, even the best of breed operators like McDonald's are are running into difficulties. And you, when you know you know when the Golden Arches are having a hard time. Right. Slinging cheap burgers, that <laughs> the, the the space as a whole is tough. And um, you know, if you look at Wendy's, they're in my opinion, they're focusing on the wrong thing. They're trying to be the the best of breed of the worst of the breed, right? They're trying to be the the better bad burger, which is tough because you got pressure from McDonald's and a revitalized Burger King on the low end. Yeah. But then you also have the fast casuals, Paneras, and, and even to some degree Starbucks of the world, sort of pressuring you from the top. So the the market that they're targeting is um is narrow at best and increasingly getting more narrow as companies like Yum Brands up the game with improved food products. Jason, what do you think when you look at Wendy's? I think I don't want to invest in it, Chris. Um, <laughs> I, think Austin's, I think Austin's spot on. I mean, they are stuck in sort of a no man's land because you have you know, the quick service restaurants, and really that's, that's dominated more or less by McDonald's and even Subway to a degree. Um, and then the, the fast casual dining segment, which just continues to pick up more and more share of the overall restaurant industry. And, and Wendy's is just kind of stuck there trying to more or less re-identify itself as, as being the, the place where you can get the fresh, you know, freshest ingredients, the, the commercials that are on TV now, or we never use frozen ground beef. It's always fresh because we think, we believe that it tastes better. And it's just, you know, there's nothing really compelling there. I mean, I think if I'm going to invest in one quick service restaurant, I, mean, I think there's really only one I would consider that would be McDonald's. Other than that, I don't really see a lot of compelling uh, options in the space. Uh, meanwhile, uh, and this is a company I never think about, but when you look at the burger space, <laughs> shares of Jack in the Box Closing in on uh, uh, what is almost a five-year high, I get that the stock was struggling for a while, but what is going on at Jack in the Box? And, and I've never been to one. There aren't any in this area. I went on their website, and, and the closest one, I think, is in Charlotte, North Carolina. So that's a little bit of a haul. Road trip. Road yeah. trip. <laughs> um, uh, what's going on at Jack in the Box? Um, it, it's totally fueled by Cadoba, not not actually Jack in the Box. Um and in my opinion, Cadoba is, is the is what is the, it, it's the Chipotle esque sort of version 
that that could, that Jack in the Box is trying to pass off, but it's nowhere near as successful. It's somewhere between Taco Bell and Chipotle. Uh, kind of yes, like a Baja that, that, Fresh, maybe. Yeah, that, that's a perfect way of describing it. And I think it's probably now. Granted, full disclosure, I haven't looked at these guys recently, but I imagine it's just spillover from Chipotle enthusiasm, right? People have seen what the stock's done. They've seen how incredible the concept is, how replicable it is, the sort of margins you can get from it. The operating lever- leverage is enviable. So they're probably just, uh, you know displacing a lot of that enthusiasm for Chipotle on Cadoba, But as a company, I'm not thrilled about them. We've talked before about the stock market being a leading indicator for the economy writ large. Is In the case of the types of burger restaurants that we're talking about, is McDonald's the leading indicator? Is is For anyone who's looking at Wendy's as potentially a, a long-term play turnaround, should the first sign anyone look for be McDonald's changing that same store sales? It, it depends on where you're looking. Domestically, yes, McDonald's. Internationally, probably still Yum! Brands. Um, I think between the two, you can get a pretty good pulse of what's going on. Um, I also like Arcos Dorados, but that's purely a, a Latin America sort of uh, pulse beat there. So McDonald's probably is still the best barometer, but that doesn't mean they're the absolute you know, rule. Uh, last week, we talked about Apple and Google and the whole things with uh, the maps going on with the iPhone 5. Today, Nokia says it will make its maps and location services available to Oracle uh, to Oracle's customers. Um, somebody thinks this is a big deal, Jason, because shares of Nokia up about 8%. I know, again, it's a stock that uh, is... is pretty low to begin with, but um, what do you think? How big a deal is this? Yeah, I think to understand the the significance of this deal, you have to kind of look back over time to see what's happened to Nokia, because it's a significantly different company than when they initially acquired Navtech back in 2007. And so, back in 2007, Nokia was much more of a player in the handset industry. This was just when the iPhone first came out, and Nokia really ruled that space. Uh, they paid about $8 billion for Navtech, which is a digital map maker. And at the time, that was about 14 times sales, which was considered expensive. Uh, so, if we go back in time to 2007... How do those numbers look now? <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a look. And so, in 2007, you can see where Nokia's top-line revenues came in at about $75 billion. Okay, and they, they had margins that were the net margin that was close to uh, they were in the low teens. So they were a very profitable operation. Uh, today, you know, we've got the iPhone and we've got all sorts of Google Android devices out there. And uh, Nokia's Nokia's revenues have sunk down to about forty three billion and they are losing money on on a net basis because of, of all the challenges they're facing in this space. And so what they're doing is they're really kind of having to revamp this business because even though they have that platform out there with the Windows phones, that still represents such a tiny slice sliver of the mobile of the smartphone market overall that it's not going to be substantial enough uh, substantial enough for really for Nokia to to win that battle so to speak and so i think this deal uh, is is significant in the sense that it gives them a little bit more credibility in their maps technology, uh, showing that it is uh, desirable technology, not just by Oracle, but they've recently signed deals with other companies like Groupon and even Amazon and Yahoo. And so I think that's what this is. You're seeing that Nokia is going to have to focus a little bit more on uh, the technology as opposed to the, the handsets going forward. And so it's a big deal for Nokia, I think. What do you think, Austin? I mean, people are obviously excited about it, but I think you have to put it in context. It's still a small part of Nokia's broader operation. It's still a much bigger company than this. Um, I like it because it has the potential for higher margins, and there is a lot of valuable data there. The problem is it's not necessarily valuable in the Nokia wheelhouse at the moment, right? You see 
Apple going their own way with Maps. You see Google's Maps continuing to just be the the crowd favorite out there. Nokia doesn't have any of that. So the problem is it's got a lot of valuable potential, but they don't have it in the right spaces at the moment. And the R&D that's associated with it to maintain it is so much that it's hard to actually be profitable on it. You have to hit a sort of critical mass of adoption for it to make sense. And Nokia hasn't hit that. I don't believe they're going to hit it um, because their best way to do it is through their own phones, which have been landed with a thud, basically, everyone that's been released in the last few quarters. So uh, there are potentials there, but put it into perspective. Nokia is a much bigger company in this division, although this division has some potential. It's not great. Yeah, and he's right. And just to put that into more perspective, as far as the, the Navtech acquisition and this MAPS technology that they're using, uh, when they when they bought Navtech, they, they formed this segment of their business called Location and Commerce, uh, which is, is something that essentially utilizes this technology as a service. And that, that section of the business, that segment of the business only brings in about 3% of the overall revenue. So, it is still a very small part of the business. Uh, Are they going to rename the division to just Location? <laughs> <laughs> they may just have to rename it to Nokia. <laughs> I mean, it may become all of the business. And again, it's like many of these businesses that we've seen that are sort of being phased out. They may still be able to exist, but they're going to have to do it as a much smaller entity. And I have a feeling that's what's going to happen with Nokia, is that Nokia will probably still be able to exist, but it's going to have to be a much smaller company that's dependent on more high-margin technology as opposed to a handset leader, which we're seeing it's not really going to be. Is are, are, Do you guys think that over the next couple of years, we're going to see something of a shaking out in uh, in the mapping business? Because when I hear that Nokia paid $8 billion for Navtech five years ago. And obviously, to your point, Austin, you've, you've got Google being the crowd favorite. You've got uh, Apple, which is clearly going to double down on their own mapping service. It, it seems like this would be a rough business for anyone att- to attempt to get into. It, it, it certainly seems that way. And frankly, I would, have, I would have expected it to happen earlier, though. I've been surprised how long some of these companies have held on, companies like Garmin, right? Because there there are a couple different ways you can apply location-based services. You can get in automobiles like you know Fords and, and General Motors and, and be there on the, the their, their GPS display. You can get in smartphones. You can be in personal GPS devices. So there are a, a bit more avenues than I think first come to mind, and that's allowed companies like you know Garmin to, to – maintain some relevance longer than I would have guessed. However, I do think it is an eventuality that there is a shaking out and there is consolidation, but it probably won't happen overnight. You can always email us. Radio at fool.com is our email address. Got an email from Tom Bird who writes, I wanted to ask you about green energy technology development in America and if clean wind energy tower is a stock you feel has an economic niche. Uh, or if there are other green energy stocks you have an affinity to. But I would like to hear your opinion on CWET. I'm a huge fan. Thanks, Tom. Uh, thanks for the note. Thanks thanks for listening. Uh, CWET, uh, a company I had not heard of before, Clean Wind Energy Tower. So, Jason, I looked it up. Shares uh, up about 2% today. It's now trading at $0.06 cents a share. So, <laughs> this is probably a good time. <laughs> I was going to say shares are however. Yeah. <laughs> to say that we're not huge fans of penny stocks. Uh, and penny stocks, depending on your definition, are, they can trade for under $2 a share, under a dollar. Certainly, the, the, any, This certainly ma- makes the threshold. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, this is an easy one to call. It's six oh, cents sure. a share. So generally, we stay far away from penny stocks because overwhelmingly, they are penny stocks for a reason. They are not far away from bankruptcy. But um, uh, assuming you're not a fan of CWET, um, what do you think when you look at uh, green energy 
I think your assumption on CWBT is correct. I'm not a fan, and it's not. It's I don't know anything substantial about the business other than it is a penny stock. And so, from that perspective alone, I just avoid, uh, especially in something like alternative energy, which tends to require a lot of capital investment. Penny stocks are tend, they tend to not be able to really pull in that kind of capital. Uh, so, what I look for is, I mean, a lot of times with with alternative energy stocks, you can kind of go one of two ways. I mean, you can look for those smaller companies that are out there spearheading new movements, something like a clean energy. Fuels, which has the backing of T. Boone Pickens, they're building out that America's natural gas highway. Deep pockets, right? Very deep pockets. But on the flip side of that coin, you know, T. Boone Pickens was also a big proponent of wind of wind energy. And if you look at his it is Pickens plan there online, I mean, wind was a very substantial. Uh, you know, por- portion of that plan for for a time, but you know, to this point here, and I'll, I'll quote T. Boone Pickens here. He says, "I quote: I've lost my ass to wind energy <laughs> investments, and so he's he's canceling those orders, and he's kind of getting away from the wind energy play because he realizes it's a lot of capital investment for something that's not really necessarily a given, and so you have to pay attention not only to." Uh, you know the fact that it's a company that has you know the ability to bring in that capital, but really it just kind of has to pass a sniff test. Does it really some? Does it seem like something that's sustainable or that could be adopted widely? And if if it if it's not, then you might want to give it a second guess. And humor aside, when a guy as wealthy as T Boone Pickens is walking away from is, is essentially writing off an entire alternative energy source as a business proposition, that's probably worth noting. Yeah. Very significant. Austin, what do you think? Um, well, I, I also don't like it because it's a penny stock. Um, I think there's a tendency in the alternative energy space to, to get really excited about it because there is an enormous amount of potential. We know energy demand is going to increase over the long run, particularly as the global GDP continues to rise. And um, alternative energies seem to have so much potential, but it's just an industry that's rife with the the, the, the next corner turnaround, right? And it, it, things never pan out. Um, one example being First Solar. They had such a rough 2012. Um, alternatively, I look for exposure in the energy sector just by owning General Electric. Um, I, I'm not well-versed enough to make those really concentrated picks, and I would consider this to be an, an ultra, ultra niche bet. So, um, you know, that that's the company that I prefer to own in this space. But you know, put into perspective, remember, most of all our, our of our alternative energy domestically still comes from hydroelectric, not wind, not any of the other fancy um, you know genres that you, you continue to hear about. So um, it, it, it's a sector where you're very likely to get burned. I suggest going, unless you're an absolute expert in it, just go with a broad company like General Electric. I was going to say, it sounds like this is one of those areas where you just feel, as an investor, it's so hard to have an edge, unless mm-hmm. you unless you do have that additional expertise. Right. And, and even if you have the best technology, these things take so long to play out that you could very well be bankrupt by the time your, your technology is at an adoption point. Yeah, I mean, another great example here is look at Tesla. I mean, Tesla, is a, it's a cool technology, phenomenal company. The cars are great. But when you look at that as an investment, I mean, I, I'm very suspicious of that as an investment because it requires so much capital to keep on, to keep that, to keep those wheels turning, to keep that company going. And, you know, a $100,000 car it's just not that widely adoptable. I mean, we can't really get everybody in our society to buy something like that. So while it's cool, and I like the technology, and I like the implications of it, you know, 20, 30, 40 years down the road, as an investor today, if you buy stock in something like that, you may be sitting on the sidelines for a long time trying to watch it play out. You know, the most interesting thing I heard about Tesla Motors last week is that our colleague, Alex Scherer, has bought of, uh, he's a Tesla on a vehicle. He's yeah, on a, he's he's on a waiting list, and it's coming really? yep. next year, he's I believe. Excited. He's excited. So I'm looking forward to him driving down here from Pennsylvania <laughs> and just, you know. I hope he got the extra long battery pack range. Well, if we're going to head down to Charlotte to hit Jack in the Box, we're going to need it. All right. 
Jason Moser, Austin Smith. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.